welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, and with me this week, as always, is Matt Rossi. Normally, Hello. I was going to say, normally we would do some lighthearted quip here, uh, but I think it's important that we do something a little different before we get into the keeping it light and brevity and, and levity that we're used to. With the current state of the world and everything that's going on, we thought it was prudent to take a moment of silence to sort of just recognize the struggles that everybody are going through. Uh, hopefully you'll join us in just a brief moment uh, before we get started and answering all of your questions. Thank you very much, and we hope that you are all safe out there. Now back to the stuff that you are actually here for. We are going to be answering more of your questions today about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I would like to thank everybody who sent in a plethora of questions, whether it was through email, on Twitter, uh, or on our Discord channels. And again, you can send those in at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, we are always more than happy to receive those there. And on our Discord server, you can find us at the Patron and Q questions, where you will have a uh, better chance of having your questions included. But we also have a standard Q uh, chat room where you can leave them if you are not a patron supporter. Um, so without further ado, we are going to start things off with a email from Underbash. Hey, lore watchers. Jumping off your discussion in last week's episode of the possibility of the mongrel horde actually becoming a thing. What if the Quillbor and the Southern Barons united and organized, building a fortified enclave that was too big to ignore, but would require too much bloodshed to deal with militarily? And so the Horde would be forced to recognize them diplomatically. In the days of the Horde being primarily run by orcs, I don't think this would ever fly, but now that there are so many different voices in the Horde, I can maybe see diplomacy taking root, albeit grudgingly. Any thoughts? Thanks. And this is from Underbash. In my opinion, that would have had a much better chance to succeed when the orcs were in charge because there were way more Quillbore. You guys have been spending the past decade, more than a decade, 15 years, since 2004, killing Quillbore. Most of them are dead. I mean, even lore-wise, in, in the short stories... They pushed the Quillbore so hard in the Barrens that they went into Mulgore. And then those Quillbore got killed by Garrosh. They're, they're, they're dead. There are still Quillbore there, but they are not going to be able to put together this coalition. Now, if Quillbore from outside showed up, like the Quillbore we just found out about in Cult Harris, if those guys were to like head to the Barrens for some reason and other Quillbore, you know, from other places showed up, then maybe. Maybe a united Quillbore could work if it comes from more than just the Barons. But the Barons? No. You've been killing them for 15 years. I mean, when I say you, I mean players. <laughs> you know, so me, I mean me. I've, I've played Horde through those zones. I've killed those Quillbore. The, the Quillbore... In the Southern Barrens, specifically, are not in a place to challenge the Horde. They, if they were, things would look very different in the Southern Barrens right now. Uh, the, the fact is, is those guys have been pushed to the to the brink of extinction. The other question is, like, to diplomacy into what regard, right? Like, if you're talking about them organizing to keep the Horde from hunting them... Uh, I don't see our starting quests changing all that much where we're not going to have to deal with them. Uh, if you're talking about just putting up a fortified front to keep themselves safe, why do they even have to deal with it diplomatically? If it's so fortified that they can't, they can only be dealt with with like massive bloodshed, then they're already at a position where they don't have to be diplomatic, right? They don't have to, to sue for peace. They've already reached the point where they understand we've put ourselves in a position where if you want to uh, remove us from our trench, it's going to be costly and bloody. And Yeah, but here's the thing, man. 
I could actually see that working out because it wouldn't be they wouldn't be negotiating for what they'd already achieved. They'd be negotiating for a recognition. But would they want to Once be recognized the horde, by the horde at this point? Like you just pointed out, why, after all these years oh, of being oh, sure, by they them. they hate the horde. That's I'm not arguing. But what's to say if you are you sometimes you push for recognition from a hostile power to move things to a diplomatic level because you don't want to get killed anymore either. Sure. Now, if the horde is willing to negotiate with the Quillbore, that takes pressure off the Quillbore. Right now, the Quillbore are in a position in the Barrens where they, they, they do not replace their lost. A f- even like a, a couple-year truce is better than nothing. And, and I do think it's an interesting idea. I just don't think it's a... It, the the Quillbore that are in the Southern Barrens right now by themselves are not in a position to negotiate with the Horde because they don't have the strength to do this. But imagine if the Quillbore everywhere got together. And imagine if they weren't just negotiating with the Horde. What if they were pushing against the Horde and the Alliance? One of the things a negotiation can do, one of the things this would do is it would set the Quillbore aside. It would make them look less like just grunting savages that attack all the time. That's that's the depiction they always give. Imagine we suddenly have canny Quillbore who can play the diplomatic game, who can play the Horde and Alliance off of each other. If you want to start to that whole mongrel... Yeah, I know, Sylvie, I'm sorry if that was Sylvie. <laughs> That was sorry, absolutely will, Sylvie. I'll get through this as fast as possible. Um, if you want to have, like, if you want to establish yourself as a power, you need to be recognized. You need to have people who actually know who you are. And this could be the first step. If we wanted to have that, you know, um, what you were calling the wildlings, mm-hmm. if you want to have that faction, a bunch of Quillboard getting together and starting negotiating as a means to get others to join their banner. And not even just Quillbore. Like if you want to, like say they wanted to start having gnolls, there's there's a lot of factions that they could attract by doing this. If you make yourself credible, suddenly you're in a position to go to the to, to the uh, to Desilus and say to the the centaur, "Hey, you hate the Torin. We hate the Torin. What say we join forces?" Yeah, and, I'm, and I'm that's, that's an interesting that. idea to me. Uh, I don't, but I don't think that the Quillbore by themselves right now are in a good position to do that kind of thing. They would need help. They would at least need help from other Quillbore if nobody else. And, and that's the interesting thing. Like, let's say, like you said, that the, the Quillbore take off from Kul'Tiris on stolen boats or they figure out how to do their self-transportation because they have wizards. We've seen it. They have magic users beyond just shamans and druids. Uh, what if they wind up showing up there? What if what if Razorfin Downs becomes that fortified position where it becomes completely walled off and adventurers can't go into it anymore? Uh, as much as I I don't advocate uh, removing of dungeons, but I think in this particular case it would be interesting if it served a greater purpose. And I could see that where now you can't do Razorfin Downs anymore because it's their city. It's their civilization where all these Quillbore have uh, solidified their one unified hold. And like you said, maybe that starts attracting the attention of the other races like the Centaur, who are they're, they're nomadic people as, as well as, you know, some of the others that are out there. But all of a sudden they see Quillbore, these these this race that has been looked down upon for generations and generations and generations all of a sudden having a position of strength, well, maybe we can go there. Maybe we could stop getting slaughtered by all of these Horde and Alliance folks that just want to come in here and stir things up. You know, I, I could see that becoming, like like you said, like this sort of beacon for the other races. And I think it would be very interesting if it started with Quillbore, because I think of all the races we've seen, they show the most, I don't want to say, like, intelligence, because I think that's wrong. They show the most uh, adaptability as far as, like, what they are as far as a race goes. So I'd be down for that. Um, and I think maybe I also if- going to say uh, not, not to quant- not to interrupt you. I don't think you need to get rid of Razorfin downs as a dungeon to do this. Sure. Just all you need to do is change the end boss. Like instead of it being some lich Lord, that's, you know, out to recruit the quill war for the scourge. Now it's some emissary from some other group. And boom, you're done. 
And, you know, just because the players come in, maybe the players go in and kill the guy thinking this will end it. And nope, and you, just solidif- you, you just solidified it. Now everybody knows how, how the horde doesn't, the horde's afraid to send an army. So they sneak in and assassinate this guy thinking, oh, this will end it. And it doesn't end it. It makes things much, much worse. Because now the, the people who are like much more reactionary are like, oh, you killed our, you killed our, our peace envoy. Fine. That's how you want to play it. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think this is a great idea. I think this is something that could be the, could be the start of, of, and again, I'm going to stop calling on the mongrel horror cause I don't really like that so much, but uh, this could be the start of what sparks the wildlings to becoming a thing. Um, our next question Orale, Lord Watchers. Uh, I have a question. Uh, I have a few questions about time and alternate realities. Uh, also, I'm old and still use email. It's like my dad's still calling people on the landline. Uh, I finally unlocked uh, Magar, Maghar as an allied race, and the quests brought some questions. Anachronos mentions Garrosh as a waste in this universe, that other versions were considered the greatest war chief the Horde ever had. Uh, and then Makar Grom mentions his son went to the Light Forged. Is this son Garrosh from that timeline, or a different child a la Greara? Uh, also, what if the Light Forged story beat is in... Uh, wow, sorry. Uh, is it in opposition of the Magar storyline? I know they're unlocking allied races for Shadowlands, and I probably will never max rep his alliance again. Recently went back to my Horde as my main. Will they take out those quests? I know y'all have mentioned the light having its fanatics, and I love the idea of a fanatic URL. It's a storyline I can see Lions players not liking, but to me, it's similar to Garrosh and Sylvanas taking dark turns. It might be cool to see a faction of the light taken to the extremes inside of a main faction rather than outside NPCs with the Scarlet Crusade slash Onslaught. Thanks for the awesomeness in what y'all do, Bootzilla, Torn, Birdbear from Hygel. Yeah, well, I think it should be pointed out it's not the Light Forged. It's the Light Bound, I think they're called. The Light Bound, yeah. Um, Which is it's different. It's a different group. Um, the Light Forged are the guys from our universe who just spent a thousand years fighting the, the, the Burning Legion. Or however long, you know, wibbly-wobbly time Uh But they are different groups, uh, first off. Secondly, I mean, I get it. The, the Horde has gotten to be, like, you know, have their war chief go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs twice now. Um, and the Alliance has never had a major Alliance lore figure do that kind of thing. I think to a certain degree it's possibly been because that's how Blizzard has wanted to keep the Alliance. Uh, the Alliance always tends to be the guy that, you know, stands there and gets punched right smack hard in the face before they do anything, and then, like, when they punch back, the, the Horde goes, Oh, God, you hit us! Um, and that's that's just always been the way they've been portrayed. And I, I, to this day, I feel like that was a really missed opportunity for, for Battle for Azeroth. Um, and, uh, you know, this isn't one of those things where I'm, like, tr- harping on it because the, the, the ship has well and truly sailed. We've had the expansion. But I do feel like it would have been interesting if the Alliance had attacked Undercity first and then the Horde attacked uh, Teldrassil. At least then it wouldn't have been as completely egregious as it ended up being. But, I mean, we're going into Shadowlands. We'll see what Sylvanas was doing. I just... It's very hard for me to see... Like, I, I cannot take the Maghar view of things as the way it is. I'm sorry. You go to another world and the Maghar tell you about how put upon and hard done by they are. These are the people that joined, you know, Grom Hellscream when he, you know, formed the Iron Horde. It's not just the ones that didn't. It's a whole bunch of ones that did. And you know that because there's good old Grom Hellscream right in the middle of it. I, I, I don't take him as an unbiased narrator. I don't take any of them as unbiased. And you can't look at... If you look at what's actually said by by the Lightbound when they're attacking, they repeatedly say, you know, you did this. The, the world is dying because of what you did. And we know that they're the ones that allowed Goldon to like summon demons and start his own, up his Fell Horde again. Without the Iron Horde, the Fell Horde would never have happened on this Draenor. And the demon, you know, once you start summoning demons unmasked to a world, 
like they did, it starts to die. You know what they did in Tanan. They created whole swaths of fell corrupted areas. Once you start doing that, that's when worlds start to die. That's what we saw in Ard Ardranor, our outland. It began to die. Once the Horde had completed its, you know, its genocidal rampage, their world was dying. And their world was dying because of all the fell they brought to it. That had consumed all the life. So it's not, a, I don't think it's as cut as dry, and dried as fell, you know, light bound bad, Maghar good. I don't think it's as cut and dried as Maghar bad either. I think there's certainly, you know, certainly some room in there, but I don't think it's as simple as that. And we don't know, just for a fact, we know, don't know if that, if that Hellscream, that Hellscream wasn't Garrosh. Uh, because Garrosh's mother died on that world without having children. Mm -hmm. So whatever son Grom had, the son is not Garrosh. He's not from the same people. It's not even like uh, Gaiara is the daughter of Duratan and Draka. She's kind of Thrall's sister, or an alternate sort of sister. She's got the same parents. She probably wasn't born at the same time, but she's got the same parents, so she's got a relation to him. But this this Hellscream son on this world isn't Garrosh, because he doesn't even have the same parents. He's he's a half-brother, at most. And that's... You're getting kind of weird when you say that, because whilst whilst that is a Grom Hellscream, it's not our Grom Hellscream. You know, it's, they, there's a, it's a divergent world. It had a different history. Things went differently. And that's the same with Duratan and Draka there. It's a different Duratan and Draka, so it's a different Gaera. I mean, Gaera is a, is a different person than Thrall. It, they're not, like, the same person, but gender-flipped. They're different people. And, and then I know that's weird, and it's kind of a little weird to think about, but it, they are not the same, and, and certainly in the case of Hellscream. I feel like I've said quite a bit here, and you should start talking. I mean, I don't disagree with anything you've said. I think it's, it's absolutely right uh, as far as that goes. The... Only thing that I, I guess we would come back to the root of the question is that the Anachronos mentioning that Garrosh was a waste in this universe uh, and that other versions were considered the greatest war chief the Horde ever had. Um, I, I don't think that, like you said, I don't think that has anything to do with uh, the Maghar Grom uh, storyline when he mentions his son uh, that went to the Light Forge. I don't think that's the waste that they were talking about. I think it's our Garrosh that really is ultimately being talked about. Because he had that, we, and we've talked about this in the past, right? Where there's always been this potential, or or for Garrosh to have been like the greatest war chief, he had th this really rocky start, but like he wanted to do good and right things, and then it just kind of got away from him. And I'm not saying that what he did was right. I'm just saying that like at the beginning, he was trying to keep things. Uh, I don't want to say civilized, but like at least with honor. And and Matt's actually talked about this in the past where there were attacks that Garrosh did not sanction. And his response was to, you know, murder the person that did it because it wasn't an attack on a military target. It wasn't something that, that served a purpose. It was literally innocents that were murdered. Uh, and I know that sort of gets wiped away when he goes off the deep end, but that's who I no. think, I think Anachronos is saying that it was a waste. The exact lines, I'm going to read them because I think it's useful. I went and looked this up. Uh, Garage Hellscream. Such a pity how things turned out. In countless potential timelines, he was seen as a great hero of his people. Some called him the Horde's greatest war chief. What you saw here was one of his worst possible incarnations. A waste. And I think he's talking about, as, as Joe just said, is all true. He's talking about our Garage. Moreover, Garage Hellscream, if you look at what happened, it's a fair thing to say that this is a situation where when he said to Thrall, don't do this, don't make me war chief, make me, like, you know, put somebody else in there and then tell me to help that person and I can do it. You want a soldier? I can be a soldier. I can fight for you, but I can't lead. And, you know, we forget this was a guy 
he's older than Thrall, but this is a guy who spent a lot of his life thinking he was worthless. Thinking he was not worthy to lead the Horde. Was not worthy to even lead his own people. You remember when we saw him, when we first met him in, in the Grand? Yep. He, this was not a guy who was like, you know, bursting with self-confidence. Everything you see from him after Thrall comes and shows him the big light show about how Daddy Grom was the super bestest ever. It's a guy trying desperately to figure out, okay, how do I live up to that? I thought he was a monster, but he's our greatest hero. How do I live up to it? How do I emulate it? How do I be that? And I think, you know, it is fair to say that given enough time, Garrosh could have figured out a way to do it. He could have become... With seasoning, with with time to like not just, you know, I feel like if they just given him more time with Sarfang, it might have worked out, because that exchange between the two of them, by the end of that exchange between Garrosh and Sarfang in in um, Borean Tundra, I want to say Borean Tundra, it might be the other zone, but I think it's Borean Tundra. It is Borean Tundra. Uh, Garrosh stops blustering. He stops going, I'll just chop through. And he actually goes, how have you, you know, when he says, how have you survived? Oh, I've not killed yourself. He's not mocking him. He's not casting aspersions on him. He's asking him. It's, it's a, just a question. And you see that switch, you know, if more time had been given that way, if, if he had more, you know, if he, if he hadn't been put into the position, Thrall put him in. If he hadn't had the entire, you know, horde thrust into his lap, you know, and the worst part is Karen was right there and Karen yeah. was saying, don't, don't do this. And Thrall didn't put Karen in charge. Imagine how different things would have been, especially at that outcome. If Karen had been put in charge and Garrosh was just, you know, essentially head of the armies and was there to listen to the wisdom of Karen, right? Karen let, would lead with compassion and knowledge of uh, years of wisdom. And, like, we forget how old Karen was, how much yeah, he had Karen, been through. Karen was at the end of his life, there's no question. Karen had maybe another 10 years. Yeah, but and, but that would have given even Garrosh at, time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I don't hate Garrosh Hellscream. I don't really hate any lore character. People don't understand this. This is a video game. And whilst I do have strong emotional resonance with the story, I don't hate the characters. I feel like sometimes, oh, I wish they hadn't done that with that character. Garrosh is one of those times. I really wish, I wish that at the at the Maghar with Thrall, Thrall had spared him. And Thrall would say, you're right. This was my fault. This was all my fault. I shouldn't have put you into that position. You're right. And I'm not going to make that mistake again. You, you're going to help me fix this. And maybe it would have worked and maybe it wouldn't have. Maybe Garage would have been like, no, this is the way. What I'm doing is the way. And they would have had to lock him up or something. But at least their Garage would be there. He'd be a character. I, I just feel like the way it went down, they, 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 they made him somebody that was trying very hard. Like mm -hmm. I, I think when you read War Crimes, you get a sense that Garage was... Garage, everything Garage does is not to convince anybody else. It's to convince himself. Yeah. It's like, to convince himself, I did what was right. I, I was thinking of my people. I was defending my people. Sacrifices had to be made for my people. And I made them. I just... There's a lot to it. I, 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 do, like, I do like this whole thing about, you know, in, in countless potential timelines, he was seen as a great hero of his people. Some called him the Horde's greatest war chief. I could see that. The, the garage we got? No. But there was in him that potential. Yeah. If he had not been thrust into that, into that role immediately, especially when he even said, I'm not ready, and given that opportunity to grow and learn under somebody who... I mean, let's be honest, when Thrall was in charge of things, he was kind of running around doing a million other things, and not all of it was exactly being a good leader to the Horde. Um, he, I, he tried, but it wasn't what it wasn't what being a leader was. Thrall least, was exceptionally good when they were a people in exile looking for a home. Yes. When they were wandering, they were escaping their bondage and wandering the sea and heading to the new land and settling it. Thrall handled all of that really well. 
once he actually had to lead them as a nation, he had no idea what to do. Mm -hmm. Who stopped the Theramore incident? Rexar. Not Thrall. Thrall didn't know how to deal with it. It was Rexar who fixed it. But Rexar is not interested in leading the Horde. He did his thing and he's like, okay, I'm done. I did what I had to do. You're all okay. You're set up now. Figure it out. And Thrall did not figure it out. I think that's, you know, it's it's a shame that Thrall's an extremely good deliverer. Thrall's an extremely good spiritual figure. Thrall is not a very good war leader. No. He has a lot of, he's good at a lot of things. I tell you right now, you don't want to get in a fight with Thrall. He will mess you up. The dude's a really good fighter. Uh, he's an extremely good shaman. He he's very good at a lot of things, but but the thing he was not good at, the thing he did not understand how to do, was be the. I think it's, it was Anne who said this that that Thrall didn't really know what being an orc was all about because he didn't grow up in it. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree with that. I think that's one of the most profound statements that has ever been made about the characterization of Thrall because it's absolutely true. He's leading a people. He doesn't know what it means to be an orc. And and so at that point, how could he have taught Garrosh anything that, that wouldn't have been flawed or worse, right? And that is the biggest failing as far as Garrosh goes. That's what set him down that weird path is he didn't have that mentorship that he needed. Yeah, he was older than Thrall. Doesn't matter. Experience matters. He was emotionally, he was younger than Thrall was and Thrall didn't know how to, how to be an orc. So, I mean, what do you expect? And as far as the last part of that question, and I think because we've talked about a lot of this stuff and I think we've gone off on quite a few tangents, uh, but I also don't know that the, uh, Magar story and the Lightbound story would be, uh, or I'm sorry, the Light Forge story. I don't think they can ever be considered, um, opposed to each other because they're different things, right? Because when we said this earlier, it was the light bound in the Magar, not the light forge. Could the light light forged go fanatically? Sure. Maybe. I don't think it'll happen though. Uh, because honestly, at this point, who's their leader? Technically, I think it's Trellian, isn't it at this point? Uh, there's a, there's a captain. There's an actual light forge captain. When you go into the, uh, Exodar, who's essentially their leader. Okay. But they do. Terralian is probably more likely. It's basically Terralian, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and at that point, I don't think there's, with, with everything that he's seen and done and gone through and the fact that his wife is, well, a little bit on the void side, I don't know that you're ever going to see sort of that same level of fanaticism out of the Lightforge that you would see, out, that you see out of the, what was presented in the limited exposure we saw of the Magar Orcs and the Lightbound. All right. Our next question comes from Bruce Redux. Unless there's anything else you wanted to add, Rossi? Uh, I think we're pretty good. Okay. Uh, and this was directed for me to me on Twitter. Uh, hey, Loader, I've got a WoW Shaman lore treat for you. Have we seen in-game or fiction Shaman having oracular dreams, visions, or just of the past and present? I realized I was deeply, truly not sure and figured I'd ask the man who has one and another and another. Uh Yes and no. Uh, oracular visions of the future are really far and few between for Shaman, and I think the only ones in canonical lore that have ever seen one have been Nabundu, and I think Thrall. Um, yeah, Thrall sees the attack of the, uh, the the whole thing with the Firelands. Thrall yeah. sees it before it happens. Yeah, Although, it's 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 six of one, half a dozen other. Was it an oracular dream, or was it um, Ragnaros personally taunting him? And that's that's the hard that's part. That's the right? question. <laughs> like with with Shaman, it's it's always connected to the elements. It's very possible that Sean Thrall had that dream of the Firelands exploding outward and, and conquering the world because Ragnaros reached into his head and said, "Here, you little son of a, you know, I got you. This is what's happening." Yeah, and and with Nabundu, it was when he was. It was basically before he was a shaman. If you go back to his short story that talks about how he became a shaman when he was, you know, recovering from being broken uh, and being cut off from the light uh, and figuring out his path from there. That's when he's gifted that vision. Uh, but it's also unsure if it's a, a pure 
uh, oracular vision, or if it's something that the elements are telling him, if you do this, this is what we can help you achieve. Um, so it's always been that weird place. The only other one that I think even comes close is literally a Murloc that is a shaman oracle. Um, but the interactions with that one are always so uh, out of left field. It's really hard to tell if he's just making things up on the fly uh, or if he is actually having oracular visions. There is the potential for it, but there's always going to be that question of where the source of it is coming from. And again, like Matt pointed out, it's because of their connection to the elements, but also the connection to their ancestors. A lot of the stuff they see, like it's easier probably to see into the past because you can reach out to your ancestors and go, yo, what happened a hundred years ago uh, versus what's going to happen tomorrow? Because they don't know. We don't know how they like what they can see from where they are or, or what, what the case is there. Um, but it's something that I kind of hope would be explored a little bit more, especially moving into Shadowlands as we're going to be dealing more with sort of spirit and anima, that's a really good opportunity to start ex exploring more the connection between a shaman and its ancestors so that how that connection works, what they can see, what they can offer, how that strength sort of flows between the two. Because if they exist in the Shadowlands and shamans can reach out to them, maybe they have that ability to you know, offer that insight in that sort of oracular way. Who knows? Um, I think there might have been stuff in the past, too, but I don't think it was ever clarified with some trolls having shamanistic oracular visions. But it really has never uh, been fully explored or explained. So hopefully yeah, like, we'll get more I on think, that one. I think at least once uh, Vol'jin had visions like that, but they were yes. directly from his Hyrie. connection to the Loa. I think it was Hyrie yeah. in general, yeah. So it wasn't... And he's not a shaman, so... Yeah, so again, it's a it's a it's a good question. It's one that I've thought about a lot, but it's something we don't have a whole lot of concrete information on. All right, uh, our next one comes from Lashiel, a level one twenty night elf demon hunter. Great name, by the way. Uh, Guardians of Forever Guild on the Thorium Brotherhood server. Uh, this is a two parter. Does it feel like the Demon Hunter was left short? They talk about absorbing the essence and abilities of demons during the initial quest, but this could also allow for Demon Hunters to have Druid-esque travel forms. Something like wings not only being for gliding, but also flight. Quicker running, a la ground mount, a picture longer legs and arms similar to running wild, even the shark-elven hybrid form for aquatic travel. Um, I guess we'll answer that one first and then go on to the second part. Okay. So do you think that they're... I don't think they've ever established lore-wise further mutations of the Demon Hunters, did they? It's basically you either have control over it uh, and this is the limitation of your power or you let it consume you from the inside out and then you have to be put down. Like, metamorphosis is a thing. Or you blow up. Yeah. I mean, some of them actually just straight up blow up. Uh, if you're doing the uh, Demon Hunter starting zone, you have that one guy who just goes, I can't control it! Ah! Boom! You know? So, I mean, there's nothing saying they can't do that, but I don't think demon hunters are intended to be like druids, but with demons. Uh, and that's kind of what you're suggesting. You're kind of suggesting that you make demon hunters into druids, but with demons. Like, ooh, a, a kind of shark form. And I was like, why would they have a shark form? <laughs> Is there some demon shark that they're supposed to turn into? I mean, I'd be I mean, fine with it. Demon shark with a laser on its head? Sure, let's go for it. But it's not very. It's got nothing to do with the demon hunter class. We the demon hunter's aesthetics are pretty strictly. We know where they come from. They come from Warcraft Three. Like everything demon hunters do in WoW is basically Warcraft Three stuff. It's it's Illidan in Warcraft Three, but with your with your version, you know that's that's. So I, I mean I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I'm not sitting here going, no, that would be bad. You can never do it. It's more like I, I guess you could do that if you wanted to. But it's just like, you know, I, I've never seen, like, they don't have a Shavarin form and they don't have a, they don't have like a Fellhound, no. Fellhunter form. They just have the form when they're like letting the demon inside them come out more fully. Now, the so interesting, I was going to say, the interesting thing is back when we read the Illidan book, 
they they almost like they started going that way a little bit. Like the abilities that you got, or as a demon hunter, or the 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 things that manifested were contingent on the demon you consumed, uh, or were master over. Uh, there were certain ones that were better at doing X, Y, or Z. And even in, I think the demon hunter starting area, when you start dealing with like the quote unquote leaders of the demon hunters, uh, the lieutenants under Illidan, uh, even they had like some variation. So I can kind of understand the desire for it. Um, I just don't know that mechanically it would ever work in game. Well, I mean, even then though, it's the one demon that you, you know, you bonded with when you consumed their flesh their heart you don't go eating the hearts of a bunch of different demons you know what i'm saying it's not like mm-hmm. oh i've also eaten the heart of a shivarin i've also eaten the heart of a fell hunter i've also eaten the heart of a void hunter which doesn't even have a heart but whatever it, it's just it's the specific one that you ate so i i mean again it's not like it's impossible they could throw it you know i honestly feel like if you're gonna do a third demon hunter spec this could be it, the, the demonist, and it's all about different demon forms that you adopt. But as they stand, I don't really see that happening. Now, could they do more with the demon wings as a flight thing? Yeah, sure. probably. Why not? I mean, you know, if we let we let druids turn into birds, why not let them do running wild but in the air? I, I, I don't have a real problem with that either. Uh, Illidan clearly can at least hover. Like he, he goes up there and he just stays up there. Like he's he's throwing his stuff he throws his glaives to the ground and he just stays up there flapping. Uh, so clearly he can at least do that. So I don't see any reason why you couldn't let demon hunters do that. Now the second question you have, uh, we mentioned what characters we would love to see get a longer story in Shadowlands. I would love to see Arthas have a redemption arc, which which starts with Jaina doing a gib slap upside Arthas's head, and she and Thrall trying to save him. Um, I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past. The idea of of seeing Arthas in that dark place or where that dark place is, like we assume it's possibly Torghast, but we don't know for sure. Do we think, what would you, how would you feel about that? Would you like to see a redemption arc for Arthas? Does WoW need another redemption arc? I mean, it seems like it's built on him. It is, yeah, and that makes me wonder, do we need yet another one? And do we need one for Arthas? Like, I'm not saying it's not a tragedy what happens to Arthas, but not every person who goes off the rails and does bad things gets to come back from it. Some people start off decent, make a fundamental mistake, screw things up, cataclysmically mess up again and again, trying to fix it. Eventually, you know, let their soul get destroyed by a rune blade, put on a magic helmet. I'm just saying you get to a certain point where the the avalanche has has avalanched. You can't take it back. You can't stick all, you know, you can't stick all those dead people back on Azeroth. You can't undo what he did. And it's people want to see a redemption narrative for Sylvanas and I think that one's a hard sell. I think but so too. As hard sell as I think the Sylvanas one is, it's nothing compared to the Narthus one. Yeah, I I would think Sylvanas and I've argued for this in the past too. I think that one's a little more viable just based off of what we've seen in game. With Arthas though, instead of maybe a redemption arc, I would say I could see them not freeing him to resurrect him or, or anything like that, but literally releasing him so that his anima could be used for something good. And I think that's the only redemption arc with Arthas that I would possibly enjoy seeing. I'll like, just be upfront. I don't ever want to see him again. Let him go. <laughs> like, let's. Sometimes we, we bemoan the fact that World of Warcraft and Warcraft in general has these characters and then they're gone and they never get to have stories again. And sometimes that's a bad thing. I think with Illidan, we, sh- we got to see a better use for him in Legion than we got in the Burning Crusade. I think that that does happen. There are characters like, for instance, I was just talking about Garrosh. I think Garrosh, they should have done things differently. And if, you, if we meet Garrosh in the Shadowlands and he ends up somehow tagging a ride back, I would not be super upset. I wouldn't, I'd be like, why? But I wouldn't be like terribly upset about it. But Arthas, no, we, he got his expansion. He got his story. He got every beat of it. 
There's no part of his story that I feel like he was wasted on. Uh, it's very much like I feel about um, Varian. And I loved Varian. I thought Varian was great. But Varian's dead. And it's fine. He doesn't need any more story. We've got Anduin's story now. And that story is interesting in going places. And we've got other characters. And we don't... There's nothing that Varian can bring to us that we can't get in other places. And I really feel that way about Arthas. There's no narrative I want to see involving him. He got his story. The effects that of what he did? Sure, I'd absolutely love to see that. A flashback that explains what the heck was going on and what, what Arthas actually knew about stuff? Sure, I'd be totally down for that. If you really must use him as a boss in Torghast or something, or whatever raid's going to come up at the end of this expansion, fine, I guess. But I, I am not... There are other characters. We don't need more Arthas. We have gotten all the Arthas we need. That is my feeling on this. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying Joe's bad for wanting to see that redemption arc thing. I'm strictly responding as a as a player and a fan of World of Warcraft. I don't care about Arthas anymore. And, and that's totally fair. I guess my point that I was trying to make is once if we go my route and it's he's released and his anima is set free, he's gone. There's nothing more they can do with him. And and at, at that point, it's done, done. And the problem is he's never. That's never the case. They, if they decide to use him, they can decide to use him from any outcome. Sure. If they decide to have his, if they decide his animates released, they can totally decide he gets reincarnated and there's a baby out there somewhere that's like an Arthas baby. And then because we're in the, we're in Shadowlands and time is weird and variable, when we get back to Azeroth, it's been 15 years and now there's a 15 year old reincarnated Arthas. <laughs> and it's like I don't know, just leave him alone. He, he got his story. But but for everything else, I do agree. I think. I think Arthas's time in the sun has come and gone. He has served his purpose for an entire game, an expansion for less, that game, and an entire expansion in another game. Yeah, I would be less upset if Deathwing came back. Well, because Deathwing didn't then really get be, anything. Well, yeah, and, and more importantly, Deathwing still could be a credible bad guy. The fact is, Sylvanas has been stealing Arthas's bag for like two expansions now. She, she, it, we, you want Arthas back? There she is. Like, you know, the fact that she didn't put the helmet on doesn't change the fact that she's essentially doing Arthas's gig. Yeah, same thing. You know, and and that to me is like, I don't, I just don't feel like we need the guy. I mean, as funny as it would be if he, like, you know, we 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 get to the Shadowlands, we go to like I say, Maldraxxus, we run into Arthas, and he's like our buddy or something. That that would be funny in a dark sort of way. It'd be like. Oh, there's a, you guys. I I have recently been watching Avatar: The Lost, the, the Last Airbender. I did not watch it when it first came out. I've only recently been watching it. I've watched the whole thing now, and there's a bit where where the character of Zuko. I don't know if you guys know Zuko, but if you do, the character of Zuko is helping the character of Sokka break into a prison. Mm-hmm. And there's a part where they meet Sokka's girlfriend Suki, who's been in that prison. And he, he says, like, you know, he, he says something like, Suki, this, this is this is uh, Zuko. And she goes, oh, I, we've met. He goes, and Zuko's like, we have? He goes, yeah, you burned down my village. And Zuko's like, oh, well, nice to see you again. That is what running into Arthas would be like at this point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. It's like, I am Arthas Menethil. Oh, yeah, I remember when you killed everybody in my village with undead people. Yes, I did do that. Anyway, you know, <laughs> That's why I don't. It's like I don't know, man. I just I do. I feel like we've seen this. I feel like we've done this already. But yeah. if they if they decide to bring him back, I'm not gonna cry about it either. It's not gonna like upset me. It's I just, hope it doesn't me, become a central thing. It's gonna be funny to me. I'm I'm actually much more looking forward to like what we're gonna get out of Kalthos. Yeah, I agree because he's another one that I think <sighs> his story has been sort of one note, really. And I'd like to see, uh, I'd like to see, I'd like to see him in sort of this new place, right? So I, I do feel like, yeah, I, I feel like he, like his his Burning Crusade end wasn't wasn't all that great. No, but yeah. All right, our next question comes from our good friend Lord Soth. 
uh, Human Death Knight on Kargath. Hello, watchers. It's Lord Soth again. Uh, I was recently leveling my warrior alt through Western Plaguelands, and I was wondering about the updates to the world that I mentioned a while back. It occurred to me that the battle for Anderhal has basically been a thing for five expansions now. That hasn't been updated at all. Based on the quest dialogue near the end of the battle, it is established that the Forsaken won the battle. That got me thinking. With Undercity being out of commission for a while, could Anderhal serve as the new undead city during slash after Shadowlands? It is certainly big enough, and it is not too far away from where Undercity used to be. The only conflicts I see are the level of the zone for mechanic-wise, uh, and the battle for Azeroth might have changed Anderhal's ownership. To my knowledge, Anderhal doesn't come up in BFA at all. No, it doesn't. Uh, there is no discussion of Anderhal in Battle for Azeroth or any aftermath that we've seen so far, right? Uh, I think it might get mentioned in one of those mission table things. But aside from that, I don't. Yeah, but do I mean? Do you remember what it has, if anything, in there? I just know that by the end of by the end of uh, Battle for Azeroth, the Alliance has won both the battle at Stromgard and the uh, battle Darkshore. at Darkshore. Yeah, they're both Alliance victories. Um, that would imply that the undead don't have anything. Well, they have Gilneas. Uh, but no, that's the other problem. As as things stand right now, I don't know if the I, I, it has not been stated what the undead hold up there at all. I I don't know. I I am not trying to be sarcastic here. This strictly speaking, I got no idea. I'd I'd love for there to be like something. I, maybe the new book will, like you know, will will settle in the status quo a bit. I don't know what happened after those battles. I don't know what the horde's position on the Eastern Kingdoms is. I don't know what they're holding. If they're holding Anderhal, then sure, yeah. I mean, it would make a, it would make sense for them to try and move there. Especially maybe with, they maybe they with... evacuated to it when they when the uh, when Sylvanas plagued literally everything so that it was impossible to live on any of it. Um, maybe they moved there. Because, I mean, it certainly is, it's a defensible, fortified location. It's bigger than Brill. I think Brill was right in that giant path of the Alliance Art War Machine, right? It was, yeah. They, yeah, they had so, to go through Brill to get there. So, I mean, it would make sense. I'm not, this isn't me saying, no, your idea is terrible. This is me saying, I got no idea. Um, it, it does make logical sense that if they were still holding Anderhal by that time, and it, as far as I know, they were then there would be no reason they wouldn't evacuate to it. It's on the other it's on the just the other side of the big barricade into Terrasfall Glades. Uh, so it's within reach of their military. Um, it's a large defensible location. Uh, it's a former, you know, I think it's a regional capital. It was a regional capital, yeah. So it's it's a sizable place. Yes, it would make a certain amount of sense. I but I don't know if that's what they did. Uh, I I'm hoping it's a question that's going to be answered relatively soon, simply because it's something I've been thinking about. And now with Kalia in the mix, it's a question of where they're going to settle. If Kalia is taking over leadership of the Forsaken, uh, which it absolutely seems like that's the way everything's going at the end of Battle for Azeroth, uh, where would that seat be? Because it's not going to be Orgrimmar. I mean, they're there, but it's not really their city. And with Kalia trying really hard to reconnect with their roots of humanity uh, and having most of them being, you know, been raised from the Eastern Kingdoms, I could see that absolutely happening. I could see that being something that occurs where she goes, where we have Anderal, it used to be a wonderful city once, let's rebuild it, make it a wonderful city again, it'll just be ours. And I don't know how the Alliance would react to that, because it would be a very, especially with... Uh, with Anduin, it would be interesting because obviously nobody's going to have any love for the Forsaken at this point with everything that's happened throughout Battle for Azeroth. Um, they were definitely complicit in it with everything that happened. And then Sylvanas was the leader of the Forsaken for all of these years. And if she is being held accountable for it, usually that stuff kind of goes downhill as far as that goes. Like holding people accountable, it kind of flows down. How would they feel about having that there, even knowing that Kalia is the one trying to put things up? Would that be a new source of strife? Would that be a new force of uh, of conflict? Or would it be something that is being handled more diplomatically, something that we've posited a few times with Kalia taking over? Is that something they could do because she would could go potentially to Anduin and try to 
diplomatically say, look, I'm going to keep my people away from your people. You know, if somebody wants to come visit us, that's fine. We're not going to do anything. We just want to live. We want to be here and I'm going to help these people heal. But this is what we need. This is the place we're going to be. This is an ancestral home for us. We're going to rebuild it. We're going to make it whole again so that we can start becoming whole again. How does that reconcile? And I guess I would I would be okay with that if for no other reason but seeing how it plays out because I think it would be very interesting. Anything else you want to add on that one? Uh, no, really. I, I mean, basically, I don't see... I mean, it comes down to what's going on after Shadowlands or during Shadowlands. Uh, it would take... I don't, I don't see... Here, here's a problem. The way things stop at the very end of Battle for Azeroth, the Alliance and Horde reach a kind of tentative peace. They, they negotiate a settlement. Obviously, Sylvanas... I'm not Sylvanas. Uh, Tyrande does not accept it. Mm-hmm. Sylvanas doesn't accept it because she's not even involved anymore. Um, of the people who... who the various leaders of the Alliance, she's got Gen Greymane's support. Gen has a lot of reasons not to accept a peace treaty with the, the Horde. One of them is, as you mentioned, Gilneas. He wants it back. Letting the Horde settle Anderhal gives them a major base very close to Gilneas from which to effectively try to retake it or keep it. And that would be something that I cannot see him being tremendously okay with. And I, you know, I don't know what the other Alliance leaders would do. I don't know if, if there's enough political will for Anduin to let Kalia do mm-hmm. that. And as of right now, I mean, the strongest military force in that area belongs to the Alliance. They're the ones that win at Stromgard, which means Taran Mill is in deep trouble. Like, now that they have Stromgard, um, Hammerfall is effectively gone. There's no way that the Horde can, can keep Hammerhall or Taran Mill if the Alliance decides to push on them. And without those areas, Anderhall is not that far away. And we know the Alliance has sent forces to Anderhall before. Mm-hmm. So I don't, this is one of the situations where I'd like them to do something with it in the story. And I don't know that Shadowlands, we're going to, we're going to hear much about what's going on in Alliance and going on in Azeroth while we're doing what we're doing. I'm not saying I wouldn't like to, but I don't know. So there's a lot, there's a lot there, but I definitely think that it, it would make sense for the, the, it would make sense for the Forsaken that didn't get to go to Orgrimmar. That would have been where you'd go. Do you know what I mean? Like, if they were evacuating Undercity, that's the first place they would have headed to. They're not going to head to Brill. Brill's gone. What's the biggest city after Undercity that they could go to? They obviously aren't going to try to go south through Silverpine, which is contested. They couldn't. Yeah, it would be, it would yeah. be suicide. The, the, the place to head is Anderhal. That is that's the first the place you're going to head. Yeah. If you're not getting evacuated some other way, Anderhal would be the place to go. It would be the first stop, especially if you're then heading to, say, Silvermoon to get out. Like, if, you're, if you didn't use the teleporter, I mean, I'm going to assume the teleporter is not actually a lore thing. Um, but if you didn't, like, use mage portals or whatever to get to Silvermoon, the way to get to Silvermoon would be to go to Anderhal and then go overland till you reached, you know, Silvermoon. And it would make sense, too, especially if you consider all the areas, because, like, we see the Undercity, and we talk about specifically the Undercity, but... The question is, did all of the undead settlements and all of the forsaken settlements get pulled into the Undercity before the siege? And I, I think the answer to that question is no. I don't think they would have. I think if they were one of those outlying areas or any of those little areas in between, I don't think they'd make their way into Undercity because they would know that it would be the place that would have been targeted. Going to Anderol, like you said, makes the most amount of sense. I could see them getting to there or going to there to stay as far away uh, at the time as they could from that giant war machine that was rolling through uh, and putting themselves in a position where they could then escape north. Uh, yeah, they'd have to deal with a few mindless undead on the way to, to Silvermoon, but like they could get there. It's somewhere that they could realistically march to and not have to rely on mage portals, which they probably didn't have access to. They probably didn't have a whole bunch of mages at those places ready to teleport the entire population of whatever little town or or village or 
uh, tent city that they had set up at that time. So moving forward makes the most amount of sense. So even if it wasn't a, uh, you know, they evacuated from Undercity there, I think it would be logical to see folks from the other Forsaken settlements wind up there, like you said, even if it's just a stop on the path to get to Silvermoon to get to somewhere else. And once you're there, once you've got, you know, refugees settling in a place, it's sort of like if they don't really have any place to go. I mean, we saw a bunch of them in Orgrimmar. Obviously, they were evacuated to there via Mage Portal. But for a lot of people, Anderhall would be the place you'd end up getting stuck. So, yeah, I can see it. But, I mean, we don't know. It would be nice to find out. I would, I'd like them to do something with the story there. All right, I think we have time for one more. Uh, this is going to be from Rodrigo Llanos. Uh, hello, I got interested in the topic about the third faction, and I wanted to put on my thoughts here. First of all, I stick with the Wildlings name, or maybe Wild Ones or the Natives as a faction name. Now, I think it's very possible for such an organization to be born during the time we spend in the Shadowlands. If the time skip is true in any way, the major problem to create such a band of races can be solved thanks to that time, and one very important thing that we'd been chasing during all of Battle for Azeroth. Azerite. It's been established that Azerite has the capacity to amplify the intelligence of those exposed to it for prolonged times, and given that it's the blood of the world, it manifests primarily underground or at the surface of the heart of the earth. What does the Cobalt, Quilbor, Drogbar, and heck, even the immigrant Gorn that came along uh, with the Magar that fled to Duratar, Duratar have in common? All of them are underground dwellers. Let's say a decade passes while we stay in the Shadowlands. That's enough time for a couple of individuals of those races to be exposed to Azerite long enough to gain a good degree of intelligence, thus solving the problem of a lack of leaders to unify those races. Uh, I leave this here for you to speculate on, and now I present my question as a lore fan. Could Elune have a third aspect aside from the Mother Moon and the Night Warrior that is related to the sea? More specifically, do you think Elune is the Tide Mother that the Kaltirans venerate? Besides the quest on Teldressel called Power Over the Tides, there's evidence in Najatar that seems to imply that. The Tablet of the Balancing Tides, one of the items that uh, the reputations there sell you, has an interesting text saying, The Whispers of Elune and Neptalon play on the tides. Their words etched in stone are a tribute to the balance of their powers. When the Tide Sages saying their Tide Mother whispers them from the waves, the obvious feminine name for their patron and this item, I'd like to think they are related. Because if true, then nothing prevents us to have Night Elf Shaman. Thanks for reading this long rambling and have a good day. Uh, first of all, I hadn't even thought about Azerite with those underground races. That is a really dang good point. And something that we still don't know how that's all going to work out, because at the end of Battle for Azeroth, here we are, we still haven't really healed the world, so Azeroth could still pop up elsewhere. That is a really good point. We might see some super intelligent underground races pop up. I mean, I could definitely deal with a Shakespearean Gorn. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, as far as the second part goes, I'm going to go with a maybe, but I'm going to defer to Matt on this one, since he spent more time on the Alliance side of things lately than I have. Well, I mean, Elune is the moon, and the moon the moon pulls on the, the tides. I mean, that's just one of the things that that's what the, the moon does. Uh, even in worlds where you're not going with the scientific aspect of the whole idea of gravity, people have long known that the moon affects the tides. Uh, going back thousands of years, people knew, oh, the moon's full today. That might that you know the tides are going to do this. They 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 could tell, they could track by the moon's lunar cycle what the tides were going to do. And people have known that for countless generations. So it would make sense that on Azeroth, the same thing would happen and they would know that it was happening and they would therefore know that the moon and the tides are related. Um, does I can't say that if a loon has such an aspect. I mean, it could just be as simple as, you know, the, the moon makes the tides go. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be... Uh, as 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 strongly related as you know, Elune has a third aspect. But we, you know, we're all familiar with triune goddesses in in mythology. We're all familiar with the fact that Elune currently has two faces that we've seen: the Night Warrior and the you know the the figure that is effectively just regular Elune. 
Uh, and it certainly could be the case there's a third figure that is that's tidally related. Um, I went and looked at the, uh, the the tablet of the Balancing Tides. It does in fact mention uh, a Loon and Neptalon, and that would make sense because you know you'd need the water and then the force to draw on the water, so you'd need both of them. Uh, so yeah, it's certainly possible. Uh, I can't tell you that it is the case, but it would be interesting. I don't think. Here's the thing is, I find myself wondering about the Tide Mother. It would kind of make sense that the Tide Mother was a loon. Because it's very clear that Ashara was doing her level best to usurp the Tide Mother. Mm-hmm. And we know that Ashara has a thing for usurping a loon. It would make, yeah, like, it would fit. It would fit that, that whole thing, right? She she renamed her city from Elundris, the Eye of a Loon, to, you know, Zin Ashari, Glory of Ashara. Um, so it would make sense that she's trying to suborn the, t- the Tide Mother if the Tide Mother was a Loon, or some weird combination of a Loon and Neptalon. Like, you know, some of the Tide Priests could be hearing Neptalon, some of them could be hearing a Loon, and they call both forms the Tide Mother because they don't know any better. Um, that's another possibility. I don't, again, I don't know, but it is interesting to think about. It does seem to fit that, you know, they might be worshipping a loon or something related to a loon. They don't seem to think much about the lunar aspect of it. But one of the things we know is that back in, like, back when the, uh, the night elves first started worshiping a loon, they were very, very, very involved in the concept that when she was done, she went back into the well of eternity. Like she would cut, rise and set out of the well of eternity. That was something that they were very, very strong about. And obviously now, when the moon sets, often it would see it seems to descend into the you know the water. Uh, not always, because sometimes it's just up there and then it's gone. But you know, if when the sun rises and sets, for instance, that's another thing. It rises and sets from the water. And and not because just the world is covered in water, and you know it goes down below the horizon and it looks like it went to the water. It's not a big you know it's not a big controversy here, but it is interesting and, and it is a possibility. Um. It does make you wonder, like, you know, what are their words? It says their words etched into stone are a tribute to the balance of their powers. Like, that's the whole point of the, ta- the tablet. It's, it's a balance between the power of Elune and the power of Neptalon over the tides. So, yeah, I, I, I can't dispute it. I'm not going to say you are wrong. I am going to say there's not a lot of evidence for it as such that, that either that there is a third aspect to a loon or that that third aspect is the tide mother. That's, but it would make I mean, sense. It's interesting. It, it, it is feasible. There is stuff in the game to support it. Um, we know in the past that Neptalon has had problems when dealing with stuff related to the Titans. We know that a loon is somehow related to the Titans in some way we don't understand. Because the Tear of Elune was one of the the four pillars of creation. Yeah, you know, pillars of creation that was used in the Temple of Elune, which was on the you know originally the Temple of Elune was right on the shores of the Well of Eternity, and it was used to help control you know the use the pillars to control the planet's development and seal barriers and keep keep it from you know going in certain directions. So it's quite possible that it's Elune's connection to the Well of Eternity that were, that makes her some kind of tidal figure. Because we were forgetting the Well of Eternity was big. Mm-hmm. It was really big. It was not like it didn't use up the whole center of the continent or anything, but it was big. It was a it was like, like the Great Lakes are big enough to be an inland sea. Effectively, we call them you know the Great Lakes, but there's enough water in them if you take them all together. They're they're sizable. That's a that's a large lake, um, and I think that the Well of Eternity is similar in that fashion. So, who knows? I don't. I'm going to say you've got my attention. I'll put it that way. I agree because it's something that I I think I've only thought about very little. Is that moons have multiple phases, and we've only really seen two aspects of a loon as far as represented in game and lore. I would love to see that expanded upon, especially with us moving into the Shadowlands, uh, where it's all about that sort of spirit and energy and power and everything else going on. 
I'd like to see an exploration of a loon and if it ties into the Ardenweld at all and what that would actually mean. Um, I, I'm for expanded loon lore, if that makes sense to say it that way. Um, but like, like Matt said, you have my attention and, uh, I think we're going to be looking at this more going forward. But Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, again, if you have any questions for us, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, even if it's just a thematic show request, be sure to send it in as well. Uh, hit us up on Patreon in the Patron and Supporter Q and Podcast Questions channel, as well as the Q Questions channel. We will check both of those. Uh, and as always, thank you for joining us, and stay safe out there. <laughs>